0: Tech Talk with Matthew Dickerson. F-f-f-f-f-f- Matthew Dickerson. Tech 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 talk. Tech 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 tech, 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 tech 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 talk. Sit back and relax. It's time to talk technology. Hello, Masters of the Universe. I am He-Man and I have the power. The power, ladies and gentlemen, to welcome you to Castle Grey's Gull for yet another Tech Talk with Matthew Dickerson and here to unlock all the secrets of the universe, nine at a time. He's the Grand Master of the Universe himself, Mr. Matthew Dickerson. Welcome back to Attorney Matt.
1: Are we putting our weights up just a little bit too much there?
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. We're there.
1: Okay. right If you're with it, I'm with it. I'm yeah, there. Yeah,
0: we're punching with the big boys.
1: <laughs> all over it. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> so speaking of punching with the big boys, I saw a funny little incident this week where it was actually my daughter, who's at Union, just worked some casual hours at a fashion retail outlet. I won't mention any brand names here, of course. And she just said over the last three or four days, there have been a few people coming in wanting to try on just a few particular lines of some of the new items that are coming out. Now, these are new winter items, the latest and greatest, all very expensive, of course. And she's thinking, well, this is great. This is obviously very popular for the particular company she works for, but none of them were buying it after they tried it on. And so she Kept asking, obviously, she'll be chasing a few sales there. Yeah. And finally, one of them said, oh, I've just come in to get the right size because I got this fantastic deal online, 70% off. And my daughter mm. said, well, 70% That's off for weird. the latest fashion. I'm sure if they're out of season, you might get some good discounts. Yeah, but it's this it's is... rare to
0: have a sale going into the season. Correct. And on your top line new stuff.
1: So she said to one of these customers, can you show me the site? And so she pulls out a phone and has a look and... My daughter looked at it and said, it does look right, but, oh, wait up, see the domain name there? It's just got one letter different in the domain name. So unless you're really trying to pick Uh, it up, you'd say that looked like it. And she actually pulled up the proper side on her phone and had it beside this customer's phone, side by side and they looked identical. Wow. But, again, just some Except for the 70% Exactly right, yeah. (laughs) And you can imagine you'd pay that amount, the 30% price that you'd normally pay, and you'd be waiting for this latest fashion to turn up in the post, and, of course, it would never turn up, and you'd never see your money again. Mm. But then, as people came in to try some of these clothes on, she started asking, and it was amazing how many people were coming in because they'd seen this, well, they didn't know it was a scam, but this scam that was being put out there. So, the, the company that was doing it had done a really good job in getting into the inboxes or getting it in front of lots of people. So well done to them. Your yeah. marketing is really working quite well, well.
0: But well done to your daughter for picking it up and she deserves a pay rise.
1: <laughs> well, that's exactly right. I said, so all these people that came in to try it on and then realised they'd been scammed, did they actually end up buying them? She said, no, they are too dear then. So they wanted the, <laughs> the 30% price rather than the full price of it. Yeah. But that's how easy it can be. You see something, mm. gee, that like a good special, I'll go and just try that on and make sure it's right. Now, some people wouldn't try it on. Some people would just go, I know my size, I'll order it there and say goodbye to your money. Yeah. So we haven't talked a lot about scams lately. Maybe we're slowly getting on top of them in different ways. I'm not convinced of that, but maybe we're having some success. But that one there, in terms of on the ground, just a real incident where you're just seeing the impact of that, there's a perfect example of exactly what happens still.
0: Absolutely. It's a world of scams.
1: Mm. Except
0: this one. This is real. We're real. This This is is all legit. Yeah, we're certified. Um, Okay, folks, if you're on the land and listening to us from Inside a Tractor today, this first story may be familiar to you. For a couple of decades now, GPS has been an important feature in crop farming, and most of it, if not all, in modern tractors, that is, and header models, they all come with the technology as standard. This makes sowing and harvesting much, much easier and more precise, from what I gather, as an ignorant townie, that is. So if you were out on the back paddock sowing your winter crops recently and you noticed that you were wandering inexplicably all over the place because your GPS went bung, don't worry, it wasn't a problem with your hardware. The problem was far, far away. Well, well out of your zone of control at least, about 20,000 kilometres above your head. Matt, I hope people didn't wreck their dashboards trying to fix this, fix this thing with tie wire and um, duct tape.
1: All sorts of things, I'm sure they tried. I actually heard about this before I picked up the story. I heard about this from a farmer that I know, and I just said, how was your day today? What did you get up to? He said, well, actually, it was a really frustrating day because he went out to start sewing first thing in the morning, and exactly as you said, he's turned on his tractor, turned on his GPS, and hits a button a few times and hits yeah. the screen, and it doesn't work, and he's playing around with it. He, he just couldn't get the damn thing to work on his tractor so of course he rang the dealer to get someone to come out and service it and get it sorted and he sat on hold for ages thinking what's going on with the dealer usually they're pretty good they pick up pretty quickly Uh. but of course Every other farmer had rung. Yeah, of course. (laughs) And they were doing the same thing because it wasn't a problem with any of the systems on the tractors themselves. It was a problem with the Inmarsat I-4F1 satellite system, which is a British satellite system. Uh Most of these farming companies, we're talking about big names here, we're talking about John Deere, Case, Ag Leader, Trimble, so there's some pretty big names there. They're using this particular satellite system. So. It wasn't the farmers, it wasn't the tractors, it was the whole satellite system. Now you think, well, big deal, you haven't got the GPS on your tractor.
0: Do it the old-fashioned way. Exactly Just watch where you're going.
1: But what this particular farmer that first talked to me about explained to me was that they've gotten to the point now where their rigs are so wide that it's not just an easy little keep an eye on the rearview mirror or just look over your shoulder and see where it's up to. They're so wide to try and cover more ground and make them more efficient. Yeah. It's pretty hard to pick exactly where the edge of the actual sowing is.
0: Oh, right. Then when
1: you get down, so it's all auto steer. So yeah, yeah. some of these farmers have been using auto steer for 15, 20 years. Yeah, that's
0: right. And you you sit it on your, your um, in your, a chair there, and you're effectively just watching it all happen around you.
1: Well, no, you're watching your iPad and, and watching Sorry. some movie. <laughs> okay, yeah, you've got YouTube right? <laughs> That's right. And then you get to the end of a row, and typically then you spin around. But even this farmer explained that the rigs so widely, you can't even do 180s at the end of each row, so you've got a bit of an idea of the edge of the row. This particular rig that he was driving can only do 90-degree turns, and so you basically do a circumference around your paddock rather uh, than go up and down. Okay. So you can imagine when you get back around – to where you just were a minute ago and oh where's the edge of that again uh, so then of course you might double sow if you're sowing a crop you might double sow so you get a that's tip. costly that's costly and you get double bits of whatever crop you're sowing that growing there <laughs> or you might have a gap which means you don't get an efficient or yeah. as efficient a production out of and your particular. It's costly again. Exactly right. So basically they parked the tractors for a day or two until they fix the problem and then got it up and going. Marine safety was also affected, but not things like e PERB. So if you had an emergency, that would still work. But if you were using some marine devices, some marine safety devices maybe to find where you were about to go.
0: We didn't get a whole lot of boats lost at sea, did we?
1: Well we didn't, but I think people just stayed.
0: Navigating by the stars quite. No, pretty. I think they
1: just stayed on shore. I think <laughs> okay, all right. I think they looked at their I, I I don't know where I'm going. I haven't (laughs) got that. But what I started to think about was imagine if it did affect affect GPS systems on phones and in cars in somewhere Mm. like a Sydney or a Melbourne or an LA or a New York. Yeah, so
0: if you could have a failure on that count, you could have a failure on any count, couldn't you? you?
1: You're right. And you you can imagine what would happen, the complete traffic chaos you would have if suddenly no one could work out where they were going. I wouldn't be able to find my
0: way to your place. (laughs)
1: That's right. Very few people now can actually just satellite, satellite, can actually navigate without using some form of GPS system. So you might have the familiar way you go to work, but you're still relying on, is there a bit of congestion there? I'll just take a different route today because yeah. I can see on my GPS system some different coloured lines so there must be congestion there. I'll take a different route. But imagine if you couldn't do that. Yeah. Taxi drivers rely on it, although most of those are pretty good, but some people rely on their GPS systems. You would have absolute traffic cars. You'd have people just say, I can't come into work today can't boss because I've got can't. no GPS. That's it. I'm, I'm stuck. <laughs> so it would be quite interesting. But this this one didn't affect any of those systems. But if this one could go down, mm. then what's to stop other systems going down as well. So interesting. And again, I haven't been able to find out what the exact problem was. Was it some sort of bad player, bad actor who was basically going and deliberately targeting this? Huh. Was it just someone who forgot to pay the bill? And whoops, we haven't got, <laughs> we haven't got power over Turn there. Off. That particular land system there. I don't know what actually occurred. It took it probably over a day to get back up and running again. Some systems were up and going a bit shorter than that. And there were some free satellites you could change your farming systems over to. Some farmers did that, but it wasn't as accurate. So mm. you kind of decided, do I just wait until the prop one's up and running again? Or... Do I try and do that one? So, mm. yeah, we, we we've come a long way. And in terms of technology, we rely on it so much. Don't we, we do,
0: don't we? Technology has become the backbone of everything we do. For those people in aged care, which is an enormous and growing sector in twenty twenty-three, technology has stepped up the game with a device to help maintain an elderly person's independence while still offering the security of having immediate support in the unfortunate case of a fall. This tech is a big deal, folks. Previous options have been either invasive on people's privacy or subject to failure from forgetfulness. Matt, how is this new tech going to work?
1: I think you're right there, just to go back a step there. I think you're right. Some people have their emergency buttons they have to push if something goes wrong, but mm. if they do fall over, pass out, have some reason that they're incapacitated, then they can't just push a little button, for mm. example. Watches, I know a lot of people do get watches for their grandparents, for example, so that they do fall over and they're still for a certain period of time or their heart rate changes, but most watches, you've got to charge every couple of days. Mm. So people go around, hey, Granny, how are you going with that watch? i got you. Oh, yeah, this thing on my wrist, it doesn't work anymore. It's, getting, Look, it's, 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 all, <laughs> it's all black. It's what's going on. <laughs> you've got to charge it each day or every couple of days. Oh, what? That's just crazy. Yeah. So that doesn't always work so well. And then you have to be in range of some of the other various ones out there. Now, a Telco in the US and Cherish Health have gotten together to try and work out, firstly, some commercial solutions around aged care facilities, but it will also get into the homes, and I'll get into that a bit more in a moment. So what they do with this particular system is they use a radar device that's something like you see in the movies when you'll see someone about to go and make a raid on a building and you see the little warm dots moving oh, right. around so the household. people
0: inside the house, through the walls, right? Yeah, Correct, okay.
1: yeah. So you'll see these warm dots, so they're about to go and make a raid and they go, oh, we know we've got two bogies over there and one over here. I'm not sure if that's the right term, but that sounds <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. it sounds impressive. yeah, yeah. So it's similar it's to heads. that where they're using radar technology in an aged care facility to go out around surrounding rooms. So you don't even need a device in each and every room. It can cover a number of rooms from a central spot. And then once that detects something where someone might have fallen over, they know where the beds are. So if they're laying down in their bed, that's probably okay. They're having mm. a nap. But if they're laying down on their kitchen floor, maybe that's not so good. So then an alert goes off. So in the aged care facility... And alert could go, someone, one of the staff members could then rush to that particular room and then see what the particular problem is. So that all sounds fantastic. But in an aged care facility, you are getting checked on fairly regularly anyway. Some people like their grandparents, for example, being in an aged care facility Hmm. because you do have some more regular checks. Some people want to stay in their homes, though, and Hmm. that becomes a bit more problematic. But the second iteration of these, I believe, it's not there yet and they haven't announced this yet, but I believe absolutely, once they've got it where it's working in an aged care facility, in a home, makes a lot of sense. So if I'm someone who wants to stay in my home and I want to get old and grey in my home and have familiar surroundings – My grandkids put one of these in my house, it monitors my house, the same thing, if I fall over, if I'm still for too long, an alert can go off. And the reason telcos are interested in this is because they'll have SIM cards in the devices so they can communicate with the outside world, even if you haven't got Wi-Fi or if your internet's down, for example, and then send a message out to the outside world and say something's wrong out here. Mm. So we are working so much on different health devices and we often talk about wearables and health. This isn't a wearable, but this is something where it really is trying to keep us in a more comfortable way, which declare a conflict of interest here. James, as we get older and older, this will be fantastic. We want more and more <laughs> of these health devices to That's look right. after us in our old age.
0: Yeah, well, the other th- issue is that we, uh, you know, cameras are so invasive as well. So to have cameras all around the house watching you 24-7, you know, people need privacy and
1: yeah, so this is the idea of this. This would be able to see a warm blob yeah, moving around, but it wouldn't know whether the warm blob had clothes on, for example. Yeah. So, in terms of that privacy, it's not really an invasion of privacy. You might see that granddad spent 20 minutes on the toilet doing the crossword, but it's probably not as bad as having a camera in the toilet watching exactly. you do the crossword.
0: Yeah. <laughs> When you're providing an internationally recognised prize for something, you'd hope the recipient was being considered extremely carefully and the processes are thorough and the award will be received with esteem and without contention. Yeah, right. The winner of this year's Sony World Photography Creative Open Category Award has handed it straight back to the donors and for good reason, Matt.
1: He was very creative, I must admit. And this is a major award. The Sony World Photography Awards, if you're a photographer... And if you can get into these as a finalist, as a place getter, for example, that's a big deal. This could Mm. launch your entire photographic career. So a German artist by the name of Boris L. Dagson, I apologise if that's not quite the (laughs) right pronunciation, but he did win, they said, the creative open category and he didn't say anything about it. In fact, the judges were a little bit annoyed because they said he misled them on his application because you've got to declare it's your own work and you took the photos, et cetera, et cetera. So he ticked all those boxes to make all those declarations. Uh But, as it turned out, and he fessed up at the end, once he won the award, he got first place. So, Kane, well done. Yeah. But then he said, actually, I didn't take a photo. And so, was he
0: out there to prove a point, though? Exactly right. That's yeah. exactly
1: what he was trying to do. Now, when I looked at the photo, it looked very impressive. It was a, a period photo. So, you might have, for example, had two models that dressed up in period gear from back around the 40s and Yeah, 50s. it looked around the,
0: the 30s and 40s, I Maybe thought. That, yeah, 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 yeah.
1: So, he... If you took the photo, you've got a lot of trouble to get people dressed up, put them in a studio, do some soft focus on there, make mm. them in, get them in the right pose and do all that. There's a lot of work to do all that. And you've got to be creative and think about all that, as opposed to AI, where you feed into a system and say, just give me a photo of two people from the 30s and 40s. And oh, there you go. Done. Yeah. My work is, is done here. So it was to prove a point that if the judges in the Sony World Photography Award, who are esteemed judges. These aren't just Billy on the corner who looked at a picture and went, oh, that looks like a photo to me. If these judges can be tricked, fooled is probably too strong a word, into thinking that this was a photograph, then that was exactly Boris's point. Well, why do we need cameras anymore? Why do we need photos anymore? Let's just go and use AI to create everything. Now, AI is not going to create a photo of my little Johnny running around at the athletics carnival and yeah. winning fourth place in a in a hundred meter dash or something. But photos for creative works, then mm-hmm. yeah, there's a lot of work to go through that creative process as opposed to using AI. Goodness so man. the judges weren't very happy in the end. I still think he did the right thing in terms of putting his hand up. Yeah, yeah hand absolutely and he did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. By but the way.
0: But, uh, yeah, outside of proving the point, yeah, but people at Sony, they've invested a lot in this and you know, integrity is everything. So, yeah, yeah to have right. then been shown up to that, I can understand why they'd be a bit annoyed.
1: Yeah, that's right. And I use a bit of AI when I'm posting things on social media. I do use a bit of AI to generate that. And it's yeah. not perfect, but it's it's something to illustrate a point. And the worst ones I find are with people. So this particular AI was pretty good because sometimes I'll get it to produce a person and it looks like a person with six fingers or a person ah. with a, a face that looks like they're. Nose is off to the side of their face and all sorts of things. So it's not perfect at producing people, but when you just want to produce inanimate objects or strange inanimate objects, uh, a kitty cat as an astronaut, for example, stuff like that, it does it very well. And again, you think about all the work you'd have to do to dress up a cat in an astronaut outfit, as opposed to type in one line and wait ten seconds. (laughs) Uh, It's a bit easier with uh, AI.
0: Well, I guess the other thing is too. He's opened a can of worms in that. Okay, so he was honest. What about the next guy that yeah, comes along? Yeah,
1: good point. Good point. So Man, just all year these, after year, all these AI experts out there now going, great! I can pick up a whole bunch of photography awards and stuff to do no work for it at all.
0: The Polestar Four EV model is fresh out of its Swedish garage, and it's had its launch recently. And it's setting new trends in automotive design, folks. Matt, from what I gather, rear windows are very, very much 2022.
1: Absolutely right. Now, I know this is going to bring up one of your favourite memories that you've talked about from time to time, and that's the Homer. Yeah. The, <laughs> the car that Homer Simpson yeah. was allowed to, to design. design. <laughs> that's right. And it goes back, I actually went and looked it up, episode 28 of The Simpsons. So oh. it's a it's a, one of the very early episodes yeah. back in... Uh, February 1991 was that particular episode, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? If you want to go and look it up. And of course, he's long lost half-brother. Half-brother, yeah. Yeah, owns Uh, or runs a a Detroit car manufacturer. It shows how old it is running Detroit (laughs) car manufacturing. And of course, he says, design a car with a blank sheet of paper. And he comes up with a monstrosity and the company goes broken. His brother never talks to him again. (laughs) Typical Simpsons. But I started thinking about it. And I think to a certain extent, what Polestar has done with this one, and we'll get onto the Polestar a bit more in a minute, but... What Polestar has done with this one is really what I think EV manufacturers are starting to do. They've been given a blank sheet of paper like Homer Simpson, but maybe with someone with a few more skills than Homer, and they've been told to design a car where you don't need an engine bay, you don't need a petrol tank, you don't need, Mm. well, maybe a steering wheel as we go forward. So you've got all these different things. Now, if you think about the motor car, Carl Benz patented that back in 1886. So we've had a long time... To refine that internal combustion model. But then you say to a modern designer, don't worry about an engine bay. You don't need to have somewhere where a hot device that's creating all this noise and heat mm. and toxic fumes is going to have to be. You don't have to get those toxic fumes from that point to somewhere out the back where you want to get rid of them through an exhaust system. You don't need a drive shaft tunnel through the middle of the car where the drive shaft takes the power from the front to the back. In fact, the transmission, where you would often have the gear stick sitting above the transmission in the centre console, well, you don't need the transmission anymore. So there's all these things that you don't need. Now, one of the things, and I suppose it's not specific to EVs, but with the Polestar, they said, why do we need a rear window? Well, we've got to see what's behind you. Well, our cameras are good enough now and our screens are big enough that... Why don't we just do that? And I had a Tesla Model S for a while and in that particular car it had a rear window still, but it had a rear camera and you'd turn that on so that you could actually see on the big screen in the middle what was happening at the back. And so I found myself using that view mm. more often when I had it on the full view of the screen and in the Model S it's got a portrait sorry, it got a landscape screen rather than portrait like the Model Y has. So I would actually find myself looking in that screen rather than looking at the back window because it gave me a better view. Mm. So that's exactly what Polestar I've done. Now Other manufacturers are doing similar types of things. So Hyundai, for example, on their new iX6, they've got no side mirrors sticking out because they create a bit of air resistance. So they've got a little tiny bubble on the side that's got a camera in it. And then on the inside, you've got a small screen. So you'd still look to the sides for your side view mirrors, but they're not actually a mirror. It's a camera (laughs) and a screen. So I think we'll see more and more of this. I actually remember it was BMW who had a big thing they were doing at one stage. uh, I probably think it's back early 2000, 2003, 2004, with some of their M series. One of the options with one of those was a carbon fibre roof. You paid, I don't know, thousands of dollars for it, and it lowered the centre of gravity by about a centimetre. So they talked about this is a big feature. Get the carbon fibre roof because your centre of gravity will be dropped by a centimetre. Better for on the racetrack. Well, with an EV, all that weight's down low. So if you get your carbon fibre roof, you've already got that. So all these differences that we've got now, yeah. I just think we're only at the beginning. I think most car manufacturers with EVs are still designing something that looks vaguely like a normal car. Maybe no engine there, maybe a frunk up the front, for example. How far away are we before they just say, hold on...
0: The homomobile
1: The homobile"? <laughs> we've still been doing things in a traditional way, but we don't need to. We can change the whole ball game now because we don't have these constraints Mm. which are natural constraints that you have with a car so we're under Polestar that's something a bit different again other manufacturers are trying a whole range of different things as well but I'm just waiting for someone to get to that point where they just say you know what let's just go back to a completely blank sheet of paper and start again
0: By now, you may have heard word on the news coming out of the UK all about how their new public emergency system trial went. At the time of recording this episode, there was still 12 hours to go before the test, so we present this next story to you with an air of anticipation. From the organisers' perspective, hopefully everything went very smoothly. From a distance of 17,000 kilometres away, though, it'd be pretty cool if they blew open the gates of Hades, if you ask me. Matt, public emergency messages broadcast over mobile phones. What in the name of Orson Welles could possibly go wrong?
1: (laughs) Well, after the Canberra bushfires here in Australia a few years ago, there was a gentleman who came out with an idea of a little device that looked a bit like a small transistor radio, if people remember what they looked like. Mm -hmm. And he was going to sell these to everyone, and this was going to be the emergency notification device. You kept batteries in it, and you put in your glove box and some in your car, sell a screw across the nation, and then any emergency, you automatically got a signal on this. And anyone that heard that idea looked at him and said, why? Oh, We've got yeah. phones. Everyone's got a phone. <laughs> yeah. Why would you try you and sell a them another device? software engineer, mate. That's all you need. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And so we started looking at how we might do that and how you might time with telcos and make them very geographic specific. In the UK, that's exactly what they're doing at the moment. So as you say, the test hasn't happened as we record this, as mm. at the recording of this, but when people listen to this, that would have already occurred. And so they're trying to get out there and tell people, this is a test. We're going to do a test. Don't be concerned when you see a warning. Trying to, through. but they're
0: delivering this to the public that voted for Brexit. So... <laughs> Ouch. Yeah. <laughs> I just, um, I worry. Yeah, yeah, no, and... And, and I, hope, reason, I hope the, the, the in the simulation that they do, it's all about a Mars attack, you know? <laughs> and we'll see how many people go into hysteria. Well, I did all see right.
1: one of the test messages and it did say... This is a test message. So hopefully oh, that okay. gives it away yeah. a little bit and they're trying to warm people. But apparently him. there's
0: a siren that goes with it too. Is that right?
1: Absolutely right. So even if your phone is on vibrate mode, even if your phone's on silent mode, then it will still make a sound for 10 seconds. So all these people that are sitting around the theatre, in fact they did change the time because the original time they were going to do it was the same time as an FA Cup semi-final match. Oh. And you can imagine 80,000 people <laughs> in a stadium and all of a sudden all their phones, all their phones go <laughs> <laughs> So they thought that's not such a good idea. Yeah, right. So it's quite clever to actually get to the point where you are making a phone make a sound when it's in silent mode or vibrate mode for example. And so that all makes sense but The whole idea of this test is to just make sure the system works. Mm. But then when they can start using it, you'll be able to do this in a very geographic specific area. So, for example, if Mary loses her child in a particular area in London, for example, and alerts the police, they can just put out an alert to the the cell towers that are just near that area. So not across all of... England, where you might think, well, really, has that child been transported four hours away in the last 10 minutes? Probably not. So go where the problems are. Or if you did have a flood or a bushfire, then people in the way of that Mm. could be alerted and the rest of England could be, okay, everything's fine. I don't need to see an emergency message. And it also does it via your location, not via where you might be registered as your home. So if you're on holiday in the top end of England and it happens to be a flood or a bushfire or whatever, you'll still get the alert, even though that's not your normal home. So, that's a, an interesting piece of the puzzle as well, if you like. So, that's kind of interesting in terms of the way they're doing that. So, they're doing it via a cell tower. Obviously, all the telcos have got to be on board with that, which they are. And it makes so much sense. And we actually had an incident a few years ago, it was a very scary incident where the police knocked on our door and asked if we had a daughter named Georgie. And we've kind of, you oh, know, you, wow. you know, your heart jumps in your throat. Yes, we have. She accidentally. She was out doing some exercise and and how she had a phone position, held down the button on the phone to make an emergency call. Uh And so without her knowing about it, it's in her pocket. It's making an emergency call. Yeah, She's continuing on at the gym, whatever she was doing. But they didn't actually go to the location of where the emergency call came we from. Came home. It came to her house because it was still, her phone number was still registered to the home address, which I thought was a little bit clumsy because if there was a problem, we said, yeah. yeah, great, we've got a problem. Oh no, our daughter's in trouble 400 kilometres away, yeah. not right here where you just come and knocked on our door. So it, there's room for it to be improved. And obviously, the UK is testing all of this, but it just makes so much sense using your mobile phone to be alerted about any kind of emergency. Is brilliant. So let's hope the test goes well. Let's hope across the world, and there are similar systems across the world in different countries, let's hope it all works out so well, and let's hope no hackers get onto it
0: (laughs) and start sending messages to everyone. (laughs) Yeah, some 14-year-old kid playing games with people. (laughs) Now for a story that will prod the body conscious right in the midriff. A new smart scale has hit the market with a bunch of new features and some of these features are about tracking your measurements while also accounting for a bit of sensitivity to people's mental well-being. Matt, does this model give warm hugs when you step off as well?
1: Almost, almost. It's very close to that, as close as it can possibly get. Now, I do actually like some of the systems that are out there now where you'll get scales that do things like check your BMI, check your percentage of body fat, a whole range of bits of information. We, we do talk about health products a lot here. And it all feeds that through to your phone so you can track it with an app mm-hmm. and maybe tie it in with some sort of weight-watching app that's checking how much food you're eating. So all sorts of things tie together. But apparently it's a bit of a demotivator for people when they step on the scales and they look down and the number is not the number they'd like to see. So they get a bit frustrated and annoyed and then that blows their day. Or they
0: There's a whole branch of psychology that goes into this, stepping onto the bathroom scales.
1: Exactly right. Now, I thought it would have been good-ish if you stepped on the scales and went, damn, I'm not where I want to be. Right, I, I won't go and eat those chocolates today or that chocolate cake or whatever and I'll go and do some more exercise. But apparently, depending how far the number is away from where you want it to Mm. be, then it can work in reverse. So if you get on and it's a bit higher, you might go and just mix those. If it's too much higher, you go, damn it, nothing's working. Where's that chocolate (laughs) cake? I'll go and gorge on it. So these scales, get ready for it, these scales do not show you your weight. (laughs) You kind (laughs) of think, well, that's the primary purpose of them. You can add a whole bunch of features in, but the primary purpose surely is to show your weight. No, it's called Eyes Closed Mode. So you step on the scales, it doesn't show your weight, it still feeds your weight through to an app, so you can still go and look it up. But instead of showing you your weight, it shows you motivational messages. It shows you information to try and inspire you to go and keep doing good. So not quite a warm hug, but a... Metaphoric warm hug, maybe yeah, perhaps, a yeah. metaphoric G up and says, Get out there and get going. But I personally would want to know well, that's great. You've told me to go out there and run 10Ks or whatever you're going to tell me to do. But is it having an effect? I'd really be interested in that. But you you can look at that. You can go and look at your phone and look at that. But this is very strange. (laughs) I just... Yeah. Imagine sitting around the boardroom. So I'm just
0: trying to visualise that. Now, instead of looking at a number there in the morning, you then go to the graph and look at how your graph's looking, I guess.
1: Maybe, yeah. But can you imagine pitching this, sitting around the boardroom? Now, I've got this idea. The next set of scales we produce, let's have no weight on them. (laughs) And they throw (laughs) cups of coffee at the guy and say, what are you doing in the boardroom? How did you get in here even? So someone thought it was a good idea. Well, I'm not convinced, but they've probably put more I research if you can into it. Get
0: different versions of it: one that talks to someone like they're a footy player, and one that talks to someone like, know, yeah, they did you like cussing,
1: for example, then yeah. someone that swears at <laughs> <aren't> you and <laughs> you and, idiot, what are you
0: doing? That's right, really gives it to you. Get out there and run laps.
1: You might have different options there. Who knows? But that's yeah. that sounds like a better idea than not showing the weight, in my opinion.
0: Every sport has its elite level of competition and all are tough in their own way, but very few could be said to be as gruelling as the Tour de France. I hope for argument's sake, that's a given, folks. So everything bar nothing about the hardware, the clothes, the cleats and a cyclist's health and fitness all need to be engineered and fine-tuned to a nanoscopic degree on the Tour. Calorie intake is a big thing, and AI is being employed by teams to calculate a a competitor's nutrition plan precisely. Matt, this is what engineers do with F1 racing cars. The line between man and machine is smudged a little bit more here, with the Tour de France business being what it is.
1: The only thing surprising to me about this story is that they haven't done it sooner. They yeah. For okay. Every edge in yeah. some of the Tour de France, and when you're cycling over that many days, over that many kilometers, you know, a couple hundred kilometers a day, over the best part of a month, then just any little tiny advantage would be enough. They design helmets to have 0.1 percent less drag than some other helmets.
0: Crazy. Well, and every team's got their own nutritionist, and or team of nutritionists and chefs, and all that sort of stuff preparing all the food. This goes. Another level on top of that.
1: It does, and I love watching some of the coverage there where they, you do see the kitchen, that the mobile kitchen that goes around with them. As you say, you've got your own chefs and your own nutritionists and the team of people cooking these up because 25,000 kilojoules a day, mm. they're burning up while they're racing. That's now, phenomenal. if you can replace that correctly, that makes sense. So they've had all these experts. They've had these team of people that have been basically working out how much you're chewing up and then how much you've got to get through and all the rest of it. And that's been working pretty well for them. Obviously, people have been able to survive the whole tour and still look like they're fit and healthy at the end. But they started getting into more detail where they started tracking the exact details because they've got all these details of their heart rate, exactly what the body's doing.
0: monitored to an inch of its life, yeah?
1: Exactly right. And so they know all that. They know what they're burning up and they know what food that had been given before the race and then during the race and then after the race. So they then got good old AI, old friend AI onto the program and said, work out with a bit more precision how all of these things could go together so that you're replacing the food that they're they're burning up, the, the energy they're burning up through the day with food that's going to be best to be turned into energy, for example. Let's see how you go with a model, with all of that. Mm. Now, they did some comparisons where they said, here's what we would have done in the past, here's how we would have taken those normal human inputs and worked at all those calculations and then do all those. And they give them a score of 100 at the end of a race or a score of one if it was perfect. And so they found the coaches and the nutritionists and the chefs and everyone else got up to a maximum of about 0.55. So in general terms, they were getting it right a bit more than half the time. They then got AI to analyse the same information after a race. And with AI, they believed they could get up to 0.82 in terms of replacement of all that energy. So a couple of teams started using it over the last year or so. And some people were winning races, winning longer races, not the tour in this case, but winning longer races with the ones where they had this improved nutrition through AI. So this year, lots of the teams using AI will be Mm. basically feeding nutrition differently to their cyclists. So I expect this year we'll see not only improved performance overall of all the athletes, but the ones that have adopted this the best will probably be the ones that have got those riders that are up near the very top. It's not, taking drugs it's not cheating in any way it's not like in some of the early Tour de France some cyclist got on the train and took a bit of a a a, a bit of a a a jump forward in the train that's loose isn't (laughs) it (laughs) it is a bit loose (laughs) that's right so it's not doing any of those things it's not doing blood doping etc it's just using intelligent information that you've got there and analysing it to the nth degree. Can we then use that in our lives? Sure thing. It's probably a bit harder to get Joe Blow Average, who can't even see what weight he is when he stands on the scales, (laughs) to see what food he might need and stick to it. But if someone was really strict on their diet, absolutely they could use this. But I see this probably more for elite athletes at this stage, more so than average you and me.
0: Here's a story that's going to annoy the sceptics among us. We have taken one small step closer to settling on Mars with the development of NASA's Martian Habitat Simulation. Four lucky crew members will lock themselves away for 12 months in a simulated Martian station to nut out the challenges of isolation and confinement likely to meet the first pioneers for the planet. Matt, long-term isolation and confinement sounds tempting. Let's hope none of them snore.
1: I think snoring would actually be the least of your troubles. I'm not sure I'd be up What about the guy with the
0: boat, BO that's just like... <laughs> and what do you do? <laughs> do you shower. say,
1: can you get out of the place? No, they've got four people in a habitat for a year.
0: Mm.
1: Now, again, I'm not sure I'd be up for that. It's one thing if you're on Mars, so you've got no choice. They put you in a little habitat there and you kind of can't spit the name and leave because outside is Mars. So mm. you have to stay there together. This is a simulation to see how people will react. Now they're monitoring- They they did
0: something like this in the late 80s or the 90s, didn't they, called the biodome? Yeah, but yeah. But they yeah. had like a big garden and everything sort of set up. It was as if they had already colonised Mars and we were living on Mars and everything was just sort of contained within that area. Yeah. This is just, sorry guys, boring old dusty Mars.
1: Well, it is, but they've got, got some of those things there as well because they're trying to see whether or not people could survive. Now, they're going to monitor a whole range of things about their health, but they're also going to monitor very closely... Their mental state. Yeah, that's that's where I think that's exactly right. That's where I think they would have much more of a challenge than the physical. The physical, I think, would be with some careful attention to detail. I think they could probably handle that one okay. Make sure you're doing some exercise. Here's your food. Make sure you're getting a whole range of different types of food. Grow some various plants, etc. In there, but mentally four of you, like something yeah. happens with you and I and we just have a little bit of a blue one day, what do you do? You, you've got to keep seeing each other. We, well,
0: and that's it, and your communication, I think they're also simulating something with the communication as well, We're back to earth. Correct. You can't just have a chat with the guy in the control room because you've got to allow for the delay.
1: Yeah, and, and the thing I think that'd be really tough is Aunt Mary dies, oh I loved Aunt yeah, Mary, yeah. the funeral's on next week, oh I've got to pretend I'm on Mars. I can't yeah. just walk out of the little dome and go to Aunt Mary's funeral. Maybe they could send a video to me yeah, with your the wife appropriate gets delay sick or something
0: like that and Anything. you just Yeah, so oh, gee whiz. it does
1: sound tough, doesn't it? So that's I say I wouldn't be up for it because it would be too tempting if something happened in the outside world. You just want to say, "Yeah, look, it seemed like a good idea, but" Yeah, I'm, I'm just going to walk here. out the door. Sorry, yeah. guys. I've, I've had enough. Or I've had enough of you. I don't want <laughs> yeah, to ha- right. hang around here anymore. This is too
0: well, much. Look, they actually did something that was the um, Russian Space Agency uh, in team with the European Space Agency and the Chinese Space Agency back in 2011, I think it was. They actually came out. There were seven ast- well, I say astronauts um, that uh, were locked away for 18 months. In this thing that was a couple of the size of a couple of shipping containers, um, and uh, yeah, they, they they learned a couple of big lessons out of that too. Yeah, yeah. do you know anything about that?
1: No, I haven't actually seen that one. So it really is about learning some of these things before yeah, yeah. they get to Mars, and then find out one day that they've spent all this time sending people to Mars and they've all killed each other. Well, they so. said
0: <laughs> they said that. Everyone had their quiet corner, and if they were yeah, sitting right. in that quiet corner, no one was to speak to them, no one was to do have anything to do with them, yep. you just let them get over their little mood, <laughs> and when they re from that quiet corner, their safe space, that was when you Well, you I think I'd them. be the
1: opposite, I think the there'd be too much quiet, if I've only got, in this case, <laughs> yeah. four people in total, so three other people to talk to, I'd be wanting to talk to someone because I'd be going a bit stir-crazy that... I don't want to quite court. I want to yeah. be able to communicate and talk to oh, people. I do have
0: to send you a whole TV series of Yellowstone or whatever. And, <laughs> That's right. Yeah. And
1: and again, that communication back there, adding the delay in there as if you were on Mars and you want to talk to someone.
0: Well, you can't have a conversation. You've you've got to basically make a video message, send that off, and then wait for them to send you back a video message because we just can't have to and fro.
1: Well, you can't have normal to and fro, can you, without no. such a delay. So it's, it's going to be interesting. But I'm going to be really fascinated to see how they go how they emerge from this and what they learn in particular on the psychology side I think that'll be the fascinating part of it to mm. see how they survive that to then basically get to the stage where we set up for Mars
0: yeah amazing things um, so you're not putting your hand up no I didn't no not this time but it, <laughs> uh, it'll be yeah as I say yeah, uh, isolation and confinement uh, that's a, a way of torture isn't
1: it <laughs> it does sound like it doesn't it? absolutely right
0: Amica. A M E C A. Amica. It's a name that most people won't recognise yet, but it's soon to become world renowned. It's a robot just like the ones in the best movies, the ones that look and behave just like humans. Although there are no camera tricks or CGI with this one. Amica has all the movements and facial expressions that will amaze and frighten the hell out of you and it'll do it in at least four different languages matt the future is here it's time to start arming ourselves and stashing that canned food every man for himself starts today
1: And it's got 17 motors in its face. So, what (laughs) more could you need? (laughs) It gives you an idea of how clever our face is to have all these different expressions, but 17 motors in the head of face. I was watching a video of it,
0: and yeah, it is amazing. Not bad, is it? Yeah.
1: (laughs) So, one of the things that's fascinating, and they often talk about this particular humanoid or humanoid robot to be used for translations, for example, you go along for that important meeting with a head of state, and I've been in meetings with people in countries overseas, in China or Japan, for example, and you've got a translator. Mm. And there have been times when I've said uh, a 20-second long sentence, and the translator translates that in two
0: seconds, <laughs> yeah. and you're thinking, no, I said, said s- more than that. I've said I said, some said really important <laughs> stuff in there.
1: How can you get it down to that? Or the opposites happen, where I've said a short sentence of five six seconds. And they've
0: elaborated, and they. <laughs> it's gone for
1: thirty seconds. And I said, "Did you just say that I've got a funny head?" And no, my, my what ears you stick said out? was really
0: offensive, and they had to find a really decent way around it.
1: <laughs> it may have been that. And I've also said some really funny things, and after the translation, the audience hasn't laughed. Yeah. So maybe the translation mm. was lost there as well. So having some type of robot like this where not only can you hopefully get all the words correct, so they're translating exactly what you said rather than their interpretation of what you said, but giving some meaning to it with their facial expressions. Facial expression. cues.
0: Yeah, well, so much... I mean, emailing, it's ho- so hard to pick tone with emailing, yeah. whether we do so much. Yep. That's because you've given them all the words, but you haven't put the, the facial tone with it. And so that's why, yeah, conversation is so much better.
1: Yeah, that's right. So this is something where I think will be used, first of all, in those sort of translations where you do have a translator Mm. for those important meanings. No, no, let's bring the robot in and we'll understand better the conversation between the two of us. A, the translation will be very quick. B, with those facial expressions... It'll give it just a bit more context and give it a bit more meaning as that translation goes through. But so
0: it'll also make us accept the robot a little bit more because it's got that very very human feature of, of the facial expressions.
1: So I think when and you start to get robots around the home, I think absolutely right you will start to talk to this robot as if it's a person because all the facial expressions seem it's to all make there. sense. We get all the cues. And then people have been saying to talk to it like that. They've been asking what the happiest day of their life is the saddest day? What emotions can they experience? Yeah. And, of course, the robot gives very clinical answers to all of those. I don't experience emotions, for example. But, again, it's one of these things that you start to get it. And I find when I type in things to chat GPT, I always say, please and thank you. I'm i <laughs> talking to Why? an AI tool. Why am I saying please and thank you? And there's no recognition back to say thank you for saying please and thank you, Matthew. <laughs> but it is it, when you start to have this conversation that feels... Comfortable, you do start talk as if it's another person. I was really
0: blown away by how subtle the facial expressions are. Mm. It was just, um, yeah, it was was so, I say, beautifully human. What's been produced there? They've really thought carefully. You say 17 motors in the face there. Mm. Um, Yeah, all the slight little lip movements uh, and eyebrow movements, uh, the crinkles in the face and whatnot to give away, you know, these subtleties of expression. It's absolutely amazing. Check it out.
1: Yeah, and think about really good actors when you're watching a, a good movie, for example. It can just be the raising of one eyebrow or yeah. the pursing of the lips yeah, that's that expresses right. all the emotion. So subtle. Yeah, that's right. So
0: Slight little wink of an eye, yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> Fascinating. So anyway, that's what we've got Looked forward to. This is the first one, and I can see other companies, other manufacturers, other entrepreneurs going, well, that's the future of robots. Let's go on 17 Motors. Forget that. We've got 30 an hours, and before you know it, there'll be hundreds of tiny motors across the face to really have every possible expression.
0: And with one finger on the red button, I'm going to have to end this episode right there, folks. I'm sorry to do it to you, but all good things must come to an end. Thanks for another sterling episode of Tech Talk, Matt.
1: No problems at all. Go out and check out those tractors to make sure they're going in straight lines now.
0: Absolutely. And I'm off to finish out the the, uh, living room of my underground bunker. Give it that warm, homely feel for the end of days. When a robot army does come for us, I want to go snuggled up to my wife on a comfy lounge, binge-watching old modern, uh, modern family episodes with a hot cuppa and a Tim Tam. Come and get me, robot overlords. I dare ya. Thanks for tuning in once again, folks. I'm your host, James Eddy. Grateful for your company, whether it be via fibre optics or copper cable or electromagnetic waves bouncing their gleeful way through the atmosphere. You've been listening to Tech Talk with Matthew Dickerson. Tell your friends about us and bring them along for next week's episode, which will be a cracking one, I'm sure. Until then, take care. See you when we see you.